Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, your host and resident storyteller, and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. No Straight Path is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are digging into the human stories behind success, and my hope, as always, is that you leave the conversation inspired, motivated, and excited about your journey. Hey friends, hey, we are back with a new season for 2024, and I'm so excited about this season. We have some wonderful guests, and I have lots of reflections to share. It is actually election season, as many of you know, and the California primary is Tuesday, March 5th. Yes, it is Tuesday, March 5th, and we have a special guest who is running for office on the show today. Although media coverage often focuses on the political polarization at the national level, state and local politics have a direct impact on the lives of Americans. It is important, so I am grateful that we have the opportunity to hear from a millennial running for state assembly, Walter Garcia. Walter is an old co-worker of mine, and he truly has a heart for service. I don't usually have politicians on the podcast because it can be challenging to have the vulnerable and honest conversations that I like to have on the show. But fortunately, Walter candidly shares his story and offers insights on what it's really like to run for office. He shares lessons learned that are applicable to any career. And before we get to this insightful conversation, I do want to tell you a bit more about Walter. Born and raised in Northeast San Fernando Valley, Walter is the proud son of two Mexican immigrants. Although his family faced economic hardship and adversity, Walter remembers his parents telling him one thing over and over again, don't give up and help others. Those values have guided him through unparalleled opportunities to serve our country at the local, state, and national levels. He's worked for a number of prominent politicians, including California Attorney General Rob Bonta, United States Secretary of Health and Human Resources Xavier Becerra, and Vice President Kamala Harris. And after attending public school in the San Fernando Valley, he went to Brown for college and Northwestern for law school. And I truly believe in Walter's mission. So we are going to dig into his story on the show. But if you want to learn more about his campaign, I'm actually going to leave everything in the show notes. Please donate if you can. Every dollar counts. It's very important. It's very challenging to raise for a political campaign, especially as a younger candidate who does not come from money and privilege, as many of us know. And so it is something that we actually talk about on the show as well. And I can't wait for you all to hear this conversation. So let's get to it. All right, Walter, thank you so much for coming on No Straight Path. I'm just so excited to dig into your story. We've had a few conversations about it thus far, and it's just, you know, I have lots of questions. So thank you for coming on the show. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Ashley. It's truly an honor and pleasure to be here. You've done a lot of great work on this show, and so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. So you know the drill. I want to start from the beginning. So let's talk about your childhood, your family, your upbringing. Can you just paint the picture for us? Sure. I'm the son of Mexican immigrants. My father has been and still is a construction worker. My mom is an in-home care provider, part of SEIU 2015. She's been doing that job, I believe, for around eight years or so. But as I was growing up, we had just one source of income, my father. Again, he worked construction, and so... As my mom likes to to remind me and my sister, as we were growing up, we moved around the first probably 
three to five years of our lives quite a bit from apartment to apartment until we finally settled down in my current hometown of Pacoima. That's where I am doing this interview from and where I live. And, you know, even then, when we settled down here, the very room that I'm doing this interview from was the room that was home to not only me, but my sister, as well as two cousins. So there were two families under one roof for us to be able to make ends meet, for us to be able to pay the mortgage. So, you know, it goes to show that even though we finally were able to settle down our roots, even then it was still a little bit challenging, right? Given the fact that our family has always been on the lower income side of things and then I had to live with my uncle and his family. So obviously there are some benefits to that growing up with, with cousins and having people to play with, but there's obvious drawbacks in terms of never having your own space and <laughs> living in tight quarters. But that's what I remember most, I think, from when I was growing up, just the, the struggle for them, you know, for my folks to make ends meet. And as as most immigrant parents tend to do, they didn't really share a lot of that struggle. They just kind of let us be kids to the to the greatest extent possible. And they, uh, you know, my dad just tried to work as much as he could to uh, to provide for us. And I think there were small ways, subtle ways where, you know, I realized growing up that I would not have some basic luxuries. One one might say that other friends would have. I remember playing soccer growing up. That was like my big thing. And mm-hmm. I would ask my dad, hey, dad, can I get these new soccer cleats when some other friend would get some? And he would say, uh, no, the ones that you have are still perfectly good. But, you know, after a while, you start hearing no. And, and he realized not only is it for good reason, but also because of the financial situation being a bit tight. So, you know, that was what I remember growing up. But um, just always having folks who were pushing me to do well academically as well, my mom in particular. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> she laid down the law when it came to, to school. Yeah, yeah. And can you tell us a little bit more just about who you were as a child? So you mentioned your mom. What would your mom say about you? What would your what would your dad say about you? Your family? How would they describe little Walter? And does little Walter show up in the work that you're doing today? These are very, very good questions. Even more interesting than, than I anticipated they would be. Uh, I just asked my mother earlier today how she would describe me. Because I, I myself am curious, right? Obviously, I have a certain perception of myself, but she's my mother. She knows me well. She would describe me. And again, these are, this is my mom. So it's no surprise that they're generally somewhat positive. <laughs> she described me as, as intelligent, as somebody who was determined. She describes me as being somewhat similar to my niece now. She's five years old and she's also equally as, <laughs> as, as determined. And the last word she used to describe me was uh, just kind of academically minded, right? I, I always wanted to do well in school. But I really didn't have a choice. <laughs> My mom didn't <laughs> didn't allow for anything else. <laughs> I'm being honest with you, she just wanted me to do well. My father, you know, it's interesting. My dad is a very different personality. He's a lot more to himself, I think, a lot more, a lot less expressive. But I think he'd probably describe me to a similar extent that my mom did. He was just the one who would, when when things got to him, it meant that we were in a little bit of trouble. So we tried to avoid dad and and the potential discipline that came with that. As for myself, uh, just kind of on a final note, I I remember I was thinking about this recently because I I don't think about those things often until we we, we recently chatted. I think growing up I was competitive. I think for sure. I mentioned I played soccer. I didn't like losing. 
Fortunately, I was part of a team that, that didn't lose a lot. And I was captain of that team for several years. I just love the idea of working with others to get to to the to the you know, shared goal of, of winning the, the championship, of winning a medal. I also think I was, to borrow one of my mom's words, determined. I kind of have always been of the mindset that if I want something, I need to, I need to work hard for it, right? It's not going to magically appear in my life. And then the final word I would use for myself is, is empathetic. Growing up in the community where I grew up here in Pacoima, it's, it's very Latino, very, very immigrant heavy. And so folks here have always struggled, not just my family. And so being in that type of environment made me very, I don't know, sensitive, I think is the right way to describe it, to the realities of life, the struggles of life, and uh, made me relate to folks here in my community, but also folks just generally, right? That sort of willingness to put yourself in other shoes. I kind of always saw myself as empathetic, even as a child, right? I would, I would give my mom a hug if I saw her a little bit sad, right? Or little things like that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. I love that. I love the image of you seeing your mom and, and seeing that she's sad and giving her that hug and, you know, doing similar work now, you know, using your empathy to affect change. And so I'm really curious about your career journey, about specifically your decision to run for office coming from, I can kind of see the dots coming from their specific background and, and wanting to create change and having opportunities to go to various elite institutions. And so, yeah, tell us about that career journey and ultimately your political journey. I've been pretty lucky in the sense that I've always realized public service is what I wanted to do. My mom jokes around that when I was in elementary school, I was very clear about to people, even as a kid, right? Like, I want to be involved in politics. You know, it's kind of a crazy idea for somebody entering as a kindergarten student to at elementary school. But for me, I suppose it was always grounded in the fact that folks who worked in politics, at least as I would see on Univision here with my parents uh, when we would watch the newcast, they were trying to make change. And so that for me was was so awesome. Even though I was young, I'm like, wow, like, how do how are they doing that? And, and how can I one day get there? So I think it stemmed from that. And it also stemmed from my from my upbringing, right? Despite us not having a lot, my folks always encouraged me to think about others, encouraged me to find ways to give back. So kind of marrying those two things kind of made sense for me to be focused on public service. And, and luckily, when I was in high school, I started my very first internship for then State Senator Alex Padilla, who's now the U.S. Senator of California. And the cool thing about him and the reason why that experience was so central to my life is that he also is from Pacoima. He grew up a couple of blocks away from me, right? And he oh, too wow. went to an elite institution on the East Coast. He went to MIT and he really kind of laid down, you know, that, that uh, foundation showing me that it is possible. So growing up with that, it was really empowering and having role models such as Alex Padilla. And so ever since then, I've been working in public service. I've had the great pleasure of of serving in government at the local, state, and national level. And it is really, it's really an honor, right? I, I, the way I think about it is my folks grew up in Mexico with a small little impoverished town and with dirt roads. And, you know, I remember when I was a White House intern for President Obama, I got to take my folks on a West Wing tour and they got a peek inside the Oval Office. And, you know, just kind of thinking about that enormous transition for them, right? Being able to come from Mexico with, with little to nothing and then being able to see within 
you know, eyesight, the the most, the obviously the most powerful person in the world. So all that has kind of led me to continue push to get involved in government. And uh, that's why <laughs> I decided to announce that I was running for office just late last year. I announced because my congressman here uh, decided to step down at the end of his term from Congress. And so he urged our assemblywoman, Luz Rivas, to run for his seat. And so she announced that and that is going to leave open the assembly seat. I thought about it quite a bit. I'm like, man, you know, do I really want to do this? Do I not? Ultimately concluding that there's never going to be a perfect time for anything. And so, you know, I feel good about the experiences that I bring to the table and I decided to take that chance. I love that. And, you know, so you did contemplate the decision a bit. Can you expound upon that? Tell us a little bit about what was going through your mind. What were some of the challenges that you could foresee or possibly foresee (laughs) when it comes to running for office? I, as I mentioned, have worked for several electeds. And so I've been able to see things from that perspective, right? I've worked for Attorney General Javier Becerra, Attorney General Rob Bonta. I was a law clerk to Senator Kamala Harris uh, during law school. But it's very different when you yourself are in in the arena, as Teddy Roosevelt would put it, because the buck truly does stop with you. (laughs) And there are very basic things that I found that I needed to to find out the hard way, such as which L.A. County Registrar's Office to go to. I had gone to my local branch. I needed to go to the main branch, which was quite a a ways from me, (laughs) realizing that you had to pay a filing fee. I to myself, asked if I could get that waived because it was around 1200 and it seemed outrageous to me. And I was told no, but it was worth asking. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, the, the woman who kindly told me no, she said, I've, I've not had anybody ask me, but it's just kind of the way I grew up, right? Like, <laughs> that's a lot of money. Let me figure out if I can avoid that charge somehow. So again, you know, learning curve from that perspective, and I absolutely contemplated it, but I didn't have enough time, I guess one would say, because I had three weeks, three and a half weeks roughly to make a decision before the filing deadline happened. And after the filing deadline, you can't submit any paperwork, right? By that deadline, you have to submit everything that they asked for in order to appear on the ballot. So the decision making process was very quick, but I don't like making decisions, important ones in isolation. I have the great fortune of having a lot of good people in my life. And so I don't mind calling them, bugging them and, you know, having them opine as to what I should be thinking about. And, you know, are there certain blind spots that I'm not uh, privy to? Are there certain things that I'm not paying attention to? And at the conclusion of that process, as I like to joke around, you ask a million people for an opinion, you'll get a million different opinions. (laughs) That is true. So for me, it was a question of just getting all that information and thinking about it sort of as pros and cons, right? What are the pros? What are the cons? Kind of drilling it down to that. And I think one of the things that I realized would be challenging and that has been challenging is the fundraising aspect of things. It's just brutal to have to, especially coming from my type of background, to ask people for money. The maximum allowable amount for my race is 5500 not many people in my life can can donate that much money. And so there are certain realities that you run into, I think, you know, when you are a first-gen student, first-gen American, right? All the first, first-time candidate. And those are just some of the realities that I think some folks had, had warned me about. But they become a lot more 
obvious once you actually start going through the process. I think that's been challenging. But on the on the other side, I still have been able to receive a lot of support and sometimes from unexpected places, which is a blessing. And perhaps just as importantly, I've learned how much I love getting to meet people. And that's so central to this job. I mentioned that I literally just got back. That's why maybe I look a little bit tan, but I was knocking on doors and just encouraging people to uh, to consider voting for me. And I actually like that. It's probably the most fun aspect of this of this run, getting to meet people, getting to learn their stories. And again, that probably comes from my empathy. And, and you know, so it's it's been a really interesting process, but I, I certainly wouldn't uh, change it for the world. I love that. I love that. And I wanted to interview you specifically just because I often hear the entrepreneurial journey, and I certainly think it's an inspiring one. And I think the political journey is also very similar and inspiring one as well. You're raising funds. You know, when I'm talking to some of my other guests, they're raising VC funds or they're doing no crowdfunding and the challenges that come with that. And it often is really challenging for first gen folks, for BIPOC folks in all of these different industries. But I'm just really proud of you for going through this journey and also sharing with us. And I'm curious about how is this process changing you? And this might be something that you might not be able to answer until retrospect, like <laughs> you know, later on. But I am curious, as you're stepping into this more so leadership role, because you said previously that you worked for so many incredible politicians who have done amazing work, but it's different when you're running the show. Do you see something inside of you changing? That's that's something I've I've given thought to because even though I've only been in this race for around a month and a half, I certainly have felt change in what I think is arguably uh, an important way which is that no longer do I get affected so much by either the the highs or the lows. You kind of learn that you have to just push through uh, because there are so many little or potentially big moments where you're either feeling super high, right, or you can feel super high or you can feel super low. And going through all of those moments every single day since I announced my campaign forces you to either lose your mind every single day because of all those highs and lows <laughs> or to just kind of take a deep breath and realize, all right, this too shall pass, right? And, and whether it's a good or bad moment. And I have to say that I credit my ability to adapt to the situation. And I think I'm adapting to it pretty well to my decision during my first year of law school to, to see a therapist. That I think was so, so important for me just because growing up as a son of immigrants, it's not something that you're really told to do or suggested to do. You kind of handle it on your own and you figure it out one way or the other. And during that first year of law school, you're surrounded by brilliant people, right? Pretty much no matter where you go. And I think for me, no matter what my previous work history was, I felt Am I worthy of being here? I have this question. Will I sound dumb if I ask it? All of these inner monologues that used to take place, I was able to talk through with a therapist at Northwestern. And, you know, you realize that maybe it, it's a little bit weird when you started off, but just about everybody who is relatively healthy uh, and has a good mental state has or continues to see one. 
right? I mean, I, I was just watching a documentary about NFL quarterbacks and how it is that, you know, one of them in particular was seeing a, a therapist after games when he just had done rough, right? Just talking through the emotions, right? Because you're the person who a lot of times as a quarterback gets, gets the blame. So I, I was so grateful that I did it. And I joke around with a lot of my my BIPOC male friends, like, hey, y'all should see a therapist. <laughs> you know, Please do. Don't joke. <laughs> Tell them to do it. <laughs> no, but for real, it really is true, right? I mean, yeah. therapy is not for everyone. I think I realize there are some people who have different ways of processing. They don't like talking so much. Yeah. But I encourage them, right? Like, hey, we all have emotions. Everybody, no matter rich or poor, has gone through some things in life. And so if you feel like you, you're struggling, you should really consider trying to talk to somebody. At bare minimum, right? Whether it's a friend or, or, you know, in my case, a professional. But I do think that my ability to just kind of go with the flow as best I can now is, is I trace it back to that fundamental decision and being able to better regulate my emotions because you hear too much. And this was another reason why I got in elected officials who treat their staff like crap, who think that they're God's gift to mankind. And that's just not right. I mean, that's not the way I was raised. That's not the way I think anybody should perceive their position of power. And so if you're listening to this and, you know, you're feeling emotions and they might seem overwhelming, consider seeing a therapist. It, it works wonders. Yes, I concur. I concur. And I love that you went in and did that on your own and especially, yeah, your first year of law school, which is definitely a very challenging time for most people. And it can be very jarring, just that transition. And I'm curious because I've always, I wonder about this, you know, coming from humble beginnings that you mentioned earlier in a working class family and navigating these elite institutions and now stepping into a position where you're running for office, you are somewhat navigating very different worlds. Is that hard? If so, you know, how, how do you do it? Well, I'm sure that you also have a brilliant answer to this. <laughs> you know, I think the bottom line is that there's no perfect answer. A lot of times I remember thinking about my experience in law school and just wishing that there was this magical wand that I could have and just wave all my problems away. But a lot of times it comes from trial and error, right? And and I think that the most important thing is just to act. If you're feeling like you need help, right, asking for help, if you if you're feeling like you don't understand a particular concept in law school, for instance, you know, ask a fellow classmate, ask, ask somebody else. But I, I think acting for me was the most important thing and not just suffering in silence. I also had the really good benefit of having a lot of role models at Northwestern, either upperclassmen or, or, or folks who work for the university professors who allowed me the space to feel my emotions, to be able to kind of allow me to realize that there's no shame in and feeling like you don't know what's happening, because if you start talking to some of your classmates, they do feel the same way. They might, they just might not voice it. <laughs> so I think it's, it's for me, it was a question of, of acting as it related to navigating law school and undergrad at Brown. Uh, and I think for politics, it's a little bit different just because by nature of it being politics, you realize that you have to be a little bit more careful about who it is that you share information with right? Because maybe it could be used against you, right? Or who it is that you decide to divulge that, right, you're, you're experiencing this problem and you'd like some feedback, right? That's the reality of it. Yeah. Um, you won't just be sharing it with the entire world. 
And I think that's something that, that people very quickly learn, right, in politics. And perhaps the, the biggest thing is, though, on the flip side, when you do find people who you can talk to and ask those very potentially basic questions, it can mean a very, very big, a very big weight off your shoulders, right? Like for me, when I first started running, I had questions about like, what do I do now that my name is going to be on the ballot, right? I got all the signatures. Yeah. I started asking around and the thing that I started kind of hearing in common is, well, you want to consider getting a treasurer. What the hell do I want a treasurer for and where do I find one? <laughs> you know, like truly it's like a political treasure. Do I Google it? Like what do I do? Yeah. And I just started asking around, right? Like, you know, so who do you recommend? And, you know, a couple of people mentioned the name and I decided to go with that name out of necessity as well. I just needed to move on. I couldn't think about it too much. So I would say it's, it's pretty similar, right? In some that you act, but you have to be a lot more cautious, I think, about how you go about doing it. And at the end of the day, politics is politics. There's a lot of unexpected things that happen. Maybe somebody who you thought would support you is not going to support you. Maybe somebody who you didn't think was going to support you is going to support you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't a little bit feel like House of Cards, but a lot more I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, you raise a really good point too. It's just this heightened level of exceptionalism that I'm sure BIPOC candidates have to experience because there's this light that's really shed on you. There's a, there's a, what's the word? There's this spotlight on you and you can't, you can't afford to make certain mistakes that perhaps other people can make, unfortunately. And so you do have to be more careful. And so that insight is so helpful for me because that means I will never running for politics because I'm like vulnerable queen. <laughs> I share all my flaws on the podcast and everything I'm struggling with and all the personal growth because that is my personality. <laughs> but I am proud of you, Walter. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, honestly, like that's, that's, that's an honest thought that I have, right? Like that's just something that, that came to mind. I think we're we're fairly similar and you know based on the conversations that we've had in terms of just wanting to excel and pushing ourselves to excel. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I realized about politics is that you you have to have a short-term memory with yourself as well. Mm. Like cuz there are a couple of times like as I've been going through this process right on a day-to-day basis where I, I think to myself, gosh darn it, I didn't do this, I didn't do that and you can think about everything you didn't do and that's sometimes the way I function because I constantly hold myself to a high standard. But sometimes you have to think about, well, what did I do, right? (laughs) So the flip side of that, and you realize like, oh, man, I was able to knock on all these doors. I made all these phone calls and, you know, like I did some really good stuff. And so it's just this constant push and pull effect that I'm having to deal with. But, you know, I, I think everybody has to go through that. And some people are more open about it than others. Yeah, I agree. And it's focusing on the progress, which I love. And speaking of progress, I would love to learn more about your career purpose, some of the work that you are pushing for through political office. You know, what do you really care about? What do you want to change? I know we have so many problems and unfortunate issues that we need to tackle, but what are you focusing on and what do you really care about? Sure. So when I made the decision to jump into this race, it very quickly became apparent to me that it wasn't going to be easy, that it was going to be uh, an uphill battle. There are a total of six candidates running for this office for State Assembly District 43 here in the San Fernando Valley. But I must admit, I ultimately decided to still go for it because I felt strongly about my working class roots as well as my experience at the local, state, and national level, which I've talked about. 
But I also felt equally strongly about what it is that I'm trying to do for the community. I'm focusing on several issues, but among those issues are housing and homelessness, which I have professional experience with, protecting our environment, which I also have experience with both personally and professionally, and then public safety, right? And like I said, all these issues I I either have lived experience or professional experience with. And I'll take, for example, housing and homelessness. In my most recent position as a spokesperson for Attorney General Rob Bonta, I got to work with the Attorney General's office has what's called the Housing Justice Team. And it's a group of lawyers that work to do two things for the most part. First, make sure that we're holding accountable local governments that refuse to approve their fair share of housing. It happens all too often, unfortunately, especially the more wealthy communities where they refuse to allow more affordable housing in their backyard, right? It's it's often seen as yeah. these people are going to commit crimes. These people are no good. When in reality, last time I checked, everybody commits crimes, right? White folks, rich folks do too, right? So <laughs> that, is, that is the bottom line, right? And I think it's really disheartening when I've heard some of those public comments and, oh, these folks are going to bring crime. No, you know. California is just so freaking expensive at this point. I mean, I'm 32 years old, graduated from law school, you know, I have all these accomplishments and I can't afford to buy a, a home on my own right here in, in, in California. Same here. Let's, that can be a whole nother podcast. Right? Like Let, listen, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's nearly impossible, right? And yeah. so for me, housing and homelessness is so critical. We just need to build more housing. I remember when I was trying to find a, a place on my own here. Uh, in the San Fernando Valley, there just weren't a lot of options. And and if you just look across the board, when you build more housing, you're able to lower the cost that folks pay for for the rent. So that's one of the issues, protecting our environment. I focused on environmental issues for Attorney General Rob Bonta, as well as Becerra. For example, recently, before I left the office on leave, we announced a lawsuit against five of the biggest oil and gas companies in the world, holding them accountable for misleading the public about the effects of climate change. Uh, and fossil fuels, right? They, for years, have publicly said that uh, there is no big connection between fossil fuels and, and climate change. When behind the scenes, there's documentation that they have known there's a clear connection between the two. And so it was awesome to be a part of that. And on a personal note, when I was in law school, I worked at our Environmental Advocacy Center at Northwestern, which is like our legal clinic. And I helped out an environmental justice organization on the southeast, southeast side of Chicago providing them legal advice as they were dealing with uh, a company that was refusing to do more to protect local citizens from a dangerous substance known as pet coke. And so I just love making sure that people can continue, or if not continue, can start to breathe cleaner air, drink cleaner water. And then here locally where I live, there's an airport that is open pretty much 24-7. There are small engine airplanes that use leaded fuel. and one of the big issues is that there have been several accidents over the last decade because of just a variety of factors, but they have led to airplane crashes happening close to people's homes, like literally right across from people's homes. And again, it's leaded fuel, right? So proud to join the community here last year and pushing for stronger measures for folks to be able to live in their homes in greater peace, right? Whether by having those airplanes no longer use leaded fuel and transition to unleaded fuel by asking that folks here in the community, especially right around the, the, the airport, have noise-canceling uh, windows because those airplanes are freaking loud. And then finally, public safety, right? Public safety. I, I grew up here a couple of houses down from a local gang. Uh, and I remember mm. 
just being told by my parents, try not to walk late at night and don't look that way and mind your business, essentially. And it wasn't fun, but it's a reality that not just myself, but other folks grew up with, right? And so for me, it's so incredibly important that people can feel safe in their neighborhoods. And that means tackling the root causes of poverty, making sure that you provide opportunities for our youth, making sure that they know that their community has their back, right? And so I'm so focused on that and also pushing for stronger gun safety regulations here in California. We have some of the strongest laws, but the number one killer of children is our guns. Yeah. Right? And it's just a terrible, terrible tragedy. And I think we need to do more about it. I agree. I agree with all of that. And thank you so much for sharing all of that and that you are you know, doing this work, because I'm, I'm really proud of you. I know I don't have any personal experience, but we talked about how challenging navigating politics can be. But we still need people like you who are fighting for important policies. And so I'm curious if you have any advice for anyone who has big dreams. You said that you were lucky in that you knew what you wanted to do pretty early on in life, which is wonderful, and you've been able to achieve that. But it doesn't seem like it was a linear path, even because you know, there's no straight path. <laughs> That's right. Definitely not linear. Yeah, based on my understanding. And I'm curious if you just have advice for someone who perhaps was in your shoes when they were younger, or just someone who might have big dreams. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I even though I've had that goal of continuing to be involved in public service, you're absolutely right. My path has been far from linear. It is not straight at all because I remember when I was in high school, I had this sort of mapped out chart of what exactly I was going to do and from point A to point B and point C, kind of type A in a way, if you will. And I remember at some point, like I had applied for something, some sort of scholarship that I didn't get and I was devastated. I felt like the world was going to end. And then you realize, well, buddy, this is just the beginning, right? Life is going to continue to have many of those setbacks, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we think, well, if we're just so determined and if we do our best that we're going to get it, but that doesn't always mean that you're going to get what you're looking for. So I think I was forced to slowly but surely be more adaptable, right? To, To make sure that I wasn't so rigid about everything. Because if I was rigid about everything, right, about only doing point A and only doing point B, there's absolutely no way that I would be where I'm at today. I'll give you a quick example. I had gotten accepted to the White House internship program. And as crazy as it sounds now, I was about to turn it down because I didn't have housing in Washington, D.C., and it was way too expensive for me to be able to afford it, right? And I I was at the point of turning it down when all of a sudden, you you kind of tell enough people miracles can happen. I, I got to uh, one of the heads of a local nonprofit here who, who's now a dear friend. And he said, hey, man, you know, I heard that you got accepted and you're about to turn it down. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And so he connected me to some family friends of his and, and they let me stay in their basement ultimately for the entirety of the summer for free in D.C. And they're now like my second uh, batch of parents, right? Isabel and Lee. Mm, yeah. uh, and again, had I been super rigid and just been like, all right, this isn't going to work out, blah, 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 like, you know, just move on. No, I, you have to be flexible, unfortunately. And, and it hurts me to say that, I'll be honest with you, because I like things going according to the plan, but you just have to be flexible and above all, realize that you can't do everything on your own. I just finished knocking on doors. I was mentioning before we got started and my mom was with me 
And it just, it was a very comforting thing because it, it was a reminder of exactly that, right? That sure, you can try to do things on your own, but it'll take you a lot longer to get to where you want to go because people have gone through the experiences that you've gone through. They have knowledge that they can offer and people like to talk. (laughs) They like to talk, especially folks who have similar, who have career paths that maybe you're interested in taking, asking them out for coffee, you know, for a phone call, whatever it is that you, that you think might be helpful. A lot of times people are very willing to do it. And as I jokingly like to say, if you don't hear from them one time, make sure to check in again because follow people up. are busy. Yeah, follow yeah. up. <laughs> you know, because people are busy and they have lives and things happen, right? But following up as well is so crucial because sometimes people truly are are caught up in something and they can't get back to you. Other times bugging them into coffee can, can also work. I, I caution you to do that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a couple of times doesn't hurt. So I, I think in general, being flexible and being willing to learn from others and asking, you know, those important questions, I think, is, is, are the biggest thing that, that come to mind for me. I love that. Excellent advice. Yeah, so you've already provided such great advice, but I am curious if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with the listeners. Yeah, no, just, just one thought that comes to mind, really, and that's if you're able to, to make sure to vote. I have met several people in my life who can't vote for different reasons, right? And um, they wish they could. And so I always try to make sure that I tell my friends, even when I'm not running for office, I mean, now that I'm running for office, you can rest assured I'm really bugging them. <laughs> even when I wasn't, I, I, I have plenty of friends who know that when it's election time, they're going to get a text from me just because I, I'm truly a believer in the importance of, of using your voice, right? in this case, by casting a ballot. And for us here in California, the primary election is on March 5th. And it's not just my race here in the San Fernando Valley that's going to be on the ballot, right, for state assembly. It's also going to be a U.S. Senate race between Adam Schiff, Katie Porter, Barbara Lee, and others, right? So I always think that there's something important to to vote for, because if we don't vote for something, then somebody else is going to be happy to do that for us. And so that, that I think, is the, the final thought that comes to mind, just making sure that we realize that we have the enormous privilege of being in this country. Right, especially in knowing where my parents came from, Hmm. but realizing that it is an imperfect country, that there are still so many things that we need to do to create a more perfect union. And it's on us to do that, right? It's not just through politics, it's also through other work as well, but we can all do our part and it's, it's important that we do just that. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share the podcast with friends and family. And my hope is that these stories help you navigate your no straight path journey. If this content is adding value to your life, and I hope it is, please take a few minutes out of your day to rate the show and write a review. You can click the link in the show notes to write a review. It helps other listeners find the show. And I just really appreciate it. Have a lovely week, embrace the journey, and remember, you're not alone.